It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Guestman, coming to you on a wonderful holiday, Monday, September 7th. I hope everybody had an interesting weekend. Uh, I know it was a a good weekend for Galaxy fans as the Galaxy get a 3-0 win over LAFC. Guess what? That's probably what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Lots to break down in that game. Uh, A really interesting game, an interesting night at Dignity Health Sports Park. And uh, lucky for you, you're going to have two people who were there in the stadium watching this game. I don't know if that makes it better or worse or anything else, uh, but we certainly want to talk about this game and, and sort of what it means. Uh, LA Galaxy getting ready for another game coming up, but a whole week away. So some time off against the San Jose Earthquakes on Thursday show. We'll get you ready for that one. All right. To help me talk all about the LA Galaxy's win over LAFC, their second straight shutout of LAFC, it's Kevin the Panda Baxter. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? Yeah, we were two of the only about two dozen people that were in the stands. It was a very small and polite crowd. Very yeah, quiet. I was, yeah, I was going to say it was it was nice. Uh, I wore shorts. I would like to point out I wore shorts. No, normally, shorts aren't allowed in the press box. I mean, it's you can wear them, but it's sort of a no no. But I figured I was fine, Kevin, because you know what? We weren't actually in the press box. We uh, were not. So we we were down in the uh, let's see, that's the southwest corner there. Um, so an interesting view and sort of a, a corner view of things. So uh, one of a lot of the action happens on the other end of the field. Uh, you can't really see it. But having said that, uh, we got to see a lot of the good stuff, or at least a lot of the interesting parts of that match uh, yeah, happened right in front of us. Yeah, three goals were on our end. Yeah, I, that was lucky. I don't know how we got that one. But uh, well, yeah, I, go I will say, though, that you, yeah, you, it's hard to see things at the other end, but um, it was much better than the press setup they had for the MLS's back tournament. As 100% better. You can't even compare the two. And one thing that not a lot of people talked about, but we all felt it, right? About 20 minutes into the first half, that breeze kicked up. I don't know where it came from, right. but it was it was stifling when the game started. And about halfway through the first half, that breeze started. I actually thought someone had turned on some sort of air conditioning, and I was looking around for the air conditioning vent to figure out how were they air conditioning the outside. I couldn't figure that out. And then I looked at the flagpole and the flag was really uh, flapping. So uh, I guess it was an ocean breeze or something, but oh my God, that felt so good. Yeah, and uh, I don't I'm think sure that the was players felt it too. No, I don't think they did. I was looking down at the corner flags whenever we were feeling because so when I got there at about six thirty, a little bit before six thirty, uh, it was still ninety three degrees there, and it wasn't overly oppressively hot and that was actually pretty cool for a lot of the places that are around Southland um, you know on Sunday that was I, I, you know Woodland Hills set a new like LA County record at 121 degrees so uh, 93 seems like it was almost time to get a jacket on um, but whenever we got there it was 93 at kickoff it was about I want to say 89 um, yeah, maybe, 88. Yeah, 88. yeah yeah so 88 degrees right in that range um, and so it was still very hot in fact I believe it was hotter than the game at least at kickoff it was hotter than the game that was played at bank of california stadium whenever that kicked off at 3 30 yeah, whatever it was teams wilted in that game yeah, that's what i heard i heard they didn't have the air conditioning one of the teams had the air conditioning one of the teams didn't so um yeah that's how it goes um no so you saw in this game you know it was hot uh usually in carson when we're there 
uh, that place is always windy, Kevin. I mean, you have to bring a jacket even whenever you know it's going to be warm because you know the ocean breeze is going to kick up and it's always windy there. Um, and there was no wind to start that game. It was stale. It was not moving. There was smoke hanging over the the entire stadium. Uh, you could sort of feel it in the back of your, your throat. I think it was probably a good thing we were wearing masks um, for that. So it was just, it was weird. And then the funny part, or funny in quotation marks, was that uh, the Yellow Galaxy are playing in stadium sound, but when the game kicked off for about the first minute or two minutes, Kevin, there was no stadium sound there was no, it was no really quiet yeah it was like super quiet i i mentioned on twitter i said it feels like we're watching like an underground illegal soccer game uh you know that like it's, it's like a death sport game or something like that and we we had to like you know knock on a door three times and sort of walk in it just felt very illegal and uh, illicit you're trying to like get in to watch a soccer game that's being played and nobody's supposed to be no no or nobody's supposed to know that it's playing i thought it was just this weird sort of i don't know all these games have this weird sort of preseason vibe to them but um you know that's kind of goes away whenever they do play the sound in the stadium to a certain extent what i don't like is the sound doesn't really react to the action i I mean i think that's very difficult to do but it just it sounds like white noise it sounds like when you turn a tv on and you're not really watching it it's just sort of this have the sound to keep you company that's kind of what it sounded like and i I actually i I get it i mean there is that weird feeling of a of a preseason game when there's no sound i love hearing the players talk to each other though uh, when they do turn the sound on, it does sort of help the atmosphere a little bit, but it really doesn't make it feel like it's a real game. It just makes it feel like someone's got their TV on and with the sound turned way up. They do have some reactions, though. I mean, there's a guy who hits a button, I mean, or, or a person, I should say. I don't know if it's a male or female. Um, somebody hits a button. Uh, in fact, the uh, let's see, which one of the shots? Maybe it was Pavone's. Uh, last chip that ended up going off the crossbar and didn't go in, but it looked like it was so going in that there was actually celebration going on already. Um, well, and there was an exclamation when Zubek missed that shot in the first yep. half. There was like, a, oh, yep, there was. It was. It just. It's just a little bit delayed. So you're sitting there going, what? Wait. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes some sense. So anyway, but, but it was weird at the LAFC game the, the 15 days ago when Carlos Vela got hurt and the, the fake LAFC fans were cheering because um, they didn't really have. Uh, they didn't have an injury reaction tape, I guess. And so they, they it was just have, that dull roar of the fans cheering as their reigning MVP is limping off the field. That uh, was really weird. I was going to say they don't have the like polite applause as they get up and walk off the field. Yeah, like, you know, exactly. thing you have to have going there. Um, interesting in terms of the lineups that came in through this. Uh, remember the LA Galaxy were on a three-game winning streak coming into this. Uh, LAFC had just beaten uh, the San Jose Earthquakes 5-1, uh, to one, Kevin. Was that correct? 5-1? Right, but but you know the, you have to take that with a grain of salt because they've uh, been I think the four or five games coming in, they had beaten them 16 to nothing combined. So 5-1 to one is almost a step down. Right, right. And if you're the LA Galaxy uh, you know, playing the San Jose Earthquakes, we said they hadn't had some good success against them and ended up and they did end up winning. So, um, you know, a lot of things and a lot of momentum building into this match for both teams. Uh, starting lineup from Guillermo Barrichello, a little throwback to the last time these two teams met. Um, and I think there's some real advantages in this particular lineup. I know people were surprised um, with Rolf Felcher coming back and playing it right back, but this was the exact lineup that had success against LAFC at Bank of California Stadium. Um, this was the lineup that in my mind, allows more versatility and more defensive cover than any other lineup the LA Galaxy can put back there, and that includes putting Araujo back or right back. There's some 
there's some issues with just placing Araujo at right back if you don't have somebody in front of him who can also play defense, um, as we've seen with uh, with Efrain Alvarez coming in and sort of what that means. We saw that against Portland. So that's sort of you know one of the things. So you get a lineup with David Bingham back there uh, who came up huge in this game. We're going to talk about him. You had Felcher, Steris, Depew, and Insua. I want to talk about Insua. Uh, Kitchen and Corona, I want to talk about both of them. Araujo, Leggett, Pavone, and Zubak was your starting lineup for the LA game. Galaxy, I think the only surprise, or at least I don't know if it's a surprise. I know that people were surprised on the Galaxy side of things whenever they saw that Latif Blessing was playing right back and expected to basically go up against Christian Pavone um, for that game. But uh, I don't know if that was a surprise for for LAFC fans. No, it, he's uh, Latif Blessing started there three times this season and started in the five to one win over San Jose and played extremely well. And, and he kind of does the same thing that the Galaxy went from their right back. He gives them a little bit of versatility in that he can join the attack or drop back. But it did seem like that, I mean, given his size, his work rate is incredible. Um, but given his size, it did seem like that was going to be a mismatch, him and Pavone. And you kind of saw that right from the beginning when in the 19th minute he got the yellow card. And then a couple of minutes later uh, had the physical challenge that that you know, could have, uh, you know, in a different universe, could have got him a second yellow and had him thrown out of the game in the first 25 minutes. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting sort of thing that I should mention. Alan Chapman was in charge of this particular um, this particular uh, game. And I would say that uh, Galaxy fans weren't exactly thrilled. And as a matter of fact, I'm sure LAFC fans weren't exactly thrilled with Chapman. Chapman has a, has an interesting way to sort of manage games. And I always feel like he's always behind whenever he's trying to manage these games. I thought that he let this particular game get way too physical, um, but physical in the wrong way. Like I'm all about tough challenges and things like that. But um, you could see that there were some cheap shots, both sides, both teams. And then he doesn't call the the, the like obvious clear like fouls that are just everybody almost stops playing because both teams think that they're fouls and there was a lot of that in this game where fouls were just missed and t- keep people kept playing and there was a lot of hands being thrown up in the air so um, I think the big thing that I learned and I was talking with Sophie um, at, at this game the big thing that the big takeaway because she pointed out is that in my mind Kevin Christian Pavone uh, who I consider one of the best um, one of the best players in Major League Soccer, and in fact, an MVP candidate, and I don't think that's even a question whether or not he's an MVP candidate. He is uh, for this league and for what he's been able to do so far. But he does not get calls, and he does not get that sort of big-name uh, calls that you see a lot of players get. Like maybe Zlatan, you know, quite honestly, Zlatan didn't get a lot of calls either because he was like 17 times the size as most of the people. And so they figured there's no way a small guy could ever foul a big guy. But for me, Pavone gets fouled a lot and doesn't get called for it. And because he's such a good player for me, Kevin, um, he also runs through a lot of challenges that also should be fouls regardless of if he runs through them because he has a, a real sort of physical nature to him. Yeah, and and it's the wrong kind of way, I think, to officiate uh, an emotional derby game like this because there are going to be those cheap shots, and I think the referee needs to get a hold of that early because you, you you run the risk of all of a sudden turning into a slugfest. And I think maybe one of the things that prevented it from getting even more physical, as funny as it sounds, is um, you know the expulsion of Mark Anthony K because then all of a sudden LAFC really had to um, sort of buckle down and and, and play a game and and and. St- you know, stay out of the challenges because they were playing with 10 men. Um, and I, you know, maybe that in, in some kind of weird way helped 
tamper the game a little bit. But yeah, it did run a risk uh, about midway through the first half. You kind of felt like it was just going to all of a sudden become a hockey game. It didn't seem like people were wanting to play soccer at that point. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting thing. So let's sort of, I mean, in, in the first half can be summed up pretty easily, I think, by uh, looking at the shot total at the first half, which was 14 to 1 in favor of LAFC. Um, the the uh, possession for them was slanted in the terms of LAFC. And I forget who said it on Twitter. It was so it was it was an LA Galaxy fan on Twitter, but said, you know, it seems like LAFC is going out of their way not to score the easy goals. Um, in fact, I think it might have been LA is our house. One of the one of the guys from LA is our house podcast um, who said that. And that couldn't be, I think, uh, more accurate because I thought LAFC had a chance of scoring two or three easy goals in this game uh, in the first half. And you can either credit one, them making too many passes in my mind, Kevin. Like it was, you know how they always say make the extra pass and everybody talk. well, like there's the extra pass and then there's the extra, extra pass. And I felt like LAFC was always trying to make the extra, extra pass. And because that, uh, the defense was able to get back. So, you know, for, in, in my mind, you credit the defense um, you have to credit David Bingham. Seven saves in this game, and this is a guy That's who's a season been, high. Season high, and it's a guy who's been just absolutely bombarded with fans who want him gone. Uh, he's known for making a lot of little tiny mistakes that usually add up and usually end up in a goal. Uh, that's what David Bingham has been seeing, I'm sure, around uh, you know all of uh, all of the internets, all the chat around him. Um, we can talk about Sebastian Legette, who admitted to knowing exactly what everybody is saying. Uh, that includes probably you and me, Kevin, and, and all the people who tweet. And he goes, I see it. I know what it is. These guys see this stuff. David Bingham saw this stuff. David Bingham according to reports is being pushed by um, Jonathan Klinsman in training. All right. So maybe that's a good thing. I, I still think Bingham is a clear number one and I think Klinsman is a clear number two, but if Klinsman wants to move up, he has a chance to do it with David Bingham in there making some of these mistakes. Now in this game, you didn't see a lot of that. Uh, I saw one save Kevin where I thought, you know, that could have been placed a little bit better. Bingham ended up having to make sort of a diving save. And whenever he did, he punched it right back into the middle. This time, however, the LA Galaxy were recovering and able to sort of clear it out. But it was one-way traffic for this first half for me. I mean, serious one-way traffic for LAFC. They should have had more goals. They had zero. And because of that, that's what cost them this game in my mind. But you know what? I thought David Bingham was, was really confident, too. A lot of times you sort of get that feeling that he's not quite committed to what he's doing when he t takes a position or makes a move or comes off his line that there's some reticence to it this time he seems supremely confident and another thing maybe you saw something different but one thing i've always noticed with david bingham when he is not having a good game and when he is not confident is he barks at his defenders a lot and i know a lot of goalkeepers do that and and it, you know sometimes it's misunderstood they're they're trying to rally their troops they're, they're trying to make sure everyone's on the same page get the communication together I don't think I saw David Bingham go after any of his defenders at all, even though he was in a shooting gallery in that first half. It seemed like he just felt like, okay, I can handle this pressure. I'm going to take it on. And and you talk about you know the 14-1 shot differential. Um, there were two comments that I thought that were really, really eye-opening for me after the game when Dan Sturris talked about the first half. And he said, um, to come out of there, 0-0 was a little bit surprising but we knew that was good for us. So he expected them to give up some goals, and he didn't. And then Christian Pavone added on to that and said, when we came out for the second half, we were confident. So they were widely outplayed in the first half. I, I think the possession was 2-1. to one. They got outshot 14-1. to one. Um, LAFC was controlling the game. It was really one side, as you said. El Trafico, where the traffic was going one way. 
yet the galaxy went into the halftime locker room you know where the draw was scoreless and said that gave us confidence coming out for the second half uh, in orlando i thought the galaxy looked like they were prepared to lose every game they were looking for ways to lose this time they go in and said yeah we've been outplayed but the game's scoreless we got this it's a totally different attitude and that's what guillermo talked about afterwards i think sebastian legit talked about it they talked about how the attitude has changed and i think you really saw that at halftime of yesterday's game yeah, let's let's toot my own horn here. I asked Guillermo basically what his halftime message was to the team because uh, you knew something. You knew he said something, and it wasn't. I don't feel like the LA Galaxy suddenly get, uh, Kevin came out and it was like, oh, they're so much better in the second half. I don't think that's the case. I think the um, I think that what happened in the second half led them to be more confident, and certainly I think they they had some some built-in confidence because they should have conceded and they didn't. So they were like, listen, we're we're lucky, we're confident that we can go out there and correct this. And uh, it was funny because I think some of the reporters we were talking about, well, uh, I think you and I were talking about it, Kevin. It was like, oh, well, it was the Galaxy's game plan. They were going to try to tire out LAFC um, in the heat, just let them take a whole bunch of shots, and hopefully David Bingham could sort of stop them. I mean, you know, it was a joke. Um, but in a lot of ways, that that may have played into it. Um, but Guillermo said something. He goes, I, he, and he said that, you know, his message to the team at halftime was, he said, I said, we need to correct something in the pressure. We talked about the goal we scored against Portland where we made 16 touches. Even if you watch the play when Ethan Zubak missed the goal, we touched the ball a lot too. So we talked about the pressure that we need to manage the ball. And then when we get the ball, we need to touch short passes. And then maybe someone had to do a long pass, but we needed to get the ball because the options will appear if we get the ball and make movements. I, If he says this, Kevin, at the Orlando is back or Orlando, the, the Orlando tournament, the MLS is back tournament. Um, if he says that particular thing with the way the Galaxy were playing, you sit there and you sort of say, no, like you needed to do something more. You had, you, you should have changed something. Um, but the fact is that looking at the run of play that they've had in the last three games before this, uh, and then this fourth game is that when he says we need to touch the ball more, we need short passes, you've seen the success the Galaxy have had doing that. And knowing that LAFC was controlling a lot of the middle, knowing that, you know, uh, that I think uh, Joe Corona and Perry Kitchen had to work so hard for any inch of space in the center for that first half, um, knowing that short passes could open up those lanes um, and remind the team you've been here before. I mean, that's such an important thing to be able to tell a team, Kevin, which is we've been here before. You guys know how to play this. I don't need to tell you, you know, really what to do. There's confidence in that, right? There's confidence to be able to... Do you remember when we played Portland? Do you remember this? Do you remember that time earlier this season with the same group of guys? You can do this. I know because I saw it and you did it. Um, that's a different message than anything that he probably could have said at you know the MLS's back tournament. Well, you can even go deeper into the mental part of that. And in that when, they, when those teams came off the field at halftime, um, the Galaxy are thinking, we took their best punch and we didn't buckle. You know, they gave us their best shot. They, they, you're not going to get another 14-shot half and another seven saves from your goalkeeper in the first half. They gave them everything they had, and it was scoreless. And then on the LAFC side, they're thinking, what do we have to do to get the ball in the net? We took 14 shots. We had the ball two-thirds of the time. What do we have to do to get the ball past these guys? So I, I think there was a big mental swing there. And by the way, um, we were not wrong. The team in Orlando played horribly. They were terrible. And when they came back here, Guillermo's job, I think, probably if it wasn't, probably should have been on the line. I right. don't think players I think players were tuning him out. I think he did a, 
a horrible job of managing the team in Orlando. I don't, I wasn't inside the locker room, so I don't know what it was that was not connecting, but it wasn't working. And we've heard the players say a lot that when we came back, we all decided to look in the mirror and they talked a little bit yesterday about trusting the coach, which is the first I've heard of that, um, which gives me the impression that perhaps in Orlando, they weren't trusting the coach. And there was a meeting of the minds where they said like, look, this is the coach we got now. Let's give it, give him a shot. I don't know if it really got to that, you know, a, a, a ham-handed a conversation, but certainly the players are now listening to Guillermo. Guillermo has stepped up his game. Everything that he touches now seems to be golden. Um, and and this, remember, we talked before this little six-game spurt of games came up, and we thought that the Galaxy would be lucky to get one point. They're unbeaten in four games. They got twelve points. They took yeah, twelve um, points. Yeah, I know. I know. That's it, one, that's one of the things we weren't wrong. By the way, whenever we made that that assumption, right? I mean, that's we we've talked about this whole bunch. Whether it's with Sebastian Legette or whether it's with you know any of this, it's with David Bingham. You're not wrong to criticize when you see things are not correct. It's just that things are now being corrected and and they're playing different. I mean, those are those are easy observations to make, and we all and, saw and that. There, and I think there are three. So you say, okay, well, what changed? I, I think there are three changes that sound minor but are huge. I think putting Nick in to the middle of the def- defense in, in, in place of Gonzalez has been huge. It's been game-changing. Um, I think Araujo in front of Rolf, for as you mentioned, you know, when, when Rolf wants to push forward as he does, you have Araujo, a natural defender who can drop back and defend. You know, we didn't have that before with, remember when Alison Drini was up there, would not come back and play defense at all. Right. So you, you're allowed to have these overla- overlapping runs with Rolf and Araujo. Um, th- they are so good together and they can both push forward and both play defense. So essentially you have two wingers and two, and two, uh, right backs on the same side, um, and th- you know their their chemistry works so well together. That is something that's relatively new. Though, yes, they've tried that combination before, but not in the way, not in the style they're playing. And then I think the other thing is Sebastian Legette has been given a role. I don't think he found it. I think this was always the player he was. I think Guillermo finally said, "We're going to put you in the middle, and 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 this is going to be your role." And look at the way he's responded with all the goals that he scored yeah. and with his chemistry with Pavon. So I think there's been three things. I, you know, I think Dupuy in the in the middle of the defense is certainly calm things down there. He's certainly helped David Bingham out a lot. Araujo uh, emerging as that winger and his chemistry with Rolf. And then Sebastian Legette finally getting into a position where he's comfortable uh, and working with Pavone, who, as we know, is an MVP candidate. It it sounds like minor things, but take those three things together and they've made a huge difference. Yeah, let me give you let me give you like 3A that comes in there as well, which is the the better play from Joe Corona and Perry Kitchen, who have also been given a role. And I I forget who was talking about it. Maybe it was Sebastian Legette after the game or I don't think it was Dan Starrs, which would have made sense as well he could have also said this but you know they talked about it is like yeah you have two center backs you have stairs and you have Depew, and, and they're right next to each other and that makes sense um and then you have perry kitchen and you have joe corona so in in a lot of ways you have four you know center backs that are sort of in there to disrupt that center of the field we've always talked about you know success coming for the la galaxy when you have a strong spine and it didn't look strong before and so um you know i noticed the change in houston uh, that Houston draw at the end of the MLS's back tournament, uh, the only goal that was allowed was uh, was a, a bad foul by Perry Kitchen just outside the box, and then David Bingham never saw the ball or never tried to go get it, and the free kick scored. But if you looked at the chances that Houston had, they were they severely limited the chances that Houston had. And I said, you know, Nick DePew back there really does something, um, and it makes a lot of sense to keep him there. And, you know, hey, I get one 
right every once in a while, and that's how it works. But you look at what Perry Kitchen and Joe Corona have done. Uh, like I said, I think they had to work extremely hard to find any space in the first half. Um, and then they didn't have to spend a whole bunch of time being 11 v 11 in the second half. And I really think that that is, you know, a positive for the LA Galaxy in terms of what they were able to do once that space opened up. Uh, if this is 11 v 11 for, for any longer, you know, I can see this game being a draw. Um, but bottom line is the LA Galaxy frustrated LAFC and it comes, you know, in the 51st minute, Christian Pavone is able to get out there and, and 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 chip the goalkeeper for the first goal. It was against the run of play in a lot of ways. Certainly, if you look at it from uh, from the first half to the second half, it was against the run of play. Maybe the LA Galaxy were going to come out and be a lot stronger in the second half than they were in the first half. And I think it would be hard for them to be worse in the first half because it wasn't a, a good performance for them, at least not in the way where they were able to control anything or really be dangerous. Uh, Zubak did have the only wide open chance, probably should have scored in the first half there. Uh, but you look at the other side and LAFC probably should have had two or three. So you look at that. The one thing I'll sort of key off on here is, is two players. Uh, one is Depew. Um, and then one is Insua and it's Depew's ball into Insua that leads Insua into space. Um, and it's Insua's sort of chip or scoop up over the defense behind blessing for Pavone to come out. And then uh, whenever you have the LAFC goalkeeper, um, Cisniega, how how do you say that? Cisniega. Cisniega. So Cisniega comes out um, and is in no man's land. And Christian Pavone even talks about, he goes, I'm glad the keeper came out because I had no angle. There was no shot for me to take, but once he was out, I knew I could chip him and he did. And that's what sort of game. So you get, you have a, from, from the run of play, um, you know, goal, it was a good goal. It comes at a really good time in terms of it. You, you just sort of said, oh, LAFC, we know you had, you know, all these chances uh, to take and you missed them all. But, you know, hey, we got two chances and we have a goal on the board right now. And so so we're winning. And then you get the 53rd minute red card for Mark Anthony K. And it's 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 craziness that Mark Anthony K ever thought that he was going to come into a challenge like that. And I think that if you look at LAFC's game plan, or at least I don't know if it was their game plan, it was certainly the way that they played is they were trying to be extremely physical with a couple different players. Uh, one of them was Christian Pavone who got beat up a whole bunch throughout this game. And as I've already mentioned, didn't get a lot of the calls that he probably should have gotten. Um, the other guy who got just, just burned all night in terms of you know physical play uh in terms of very physical challenges in terms of shoulders and pushing and shoving and everything else was julian arajo uh arajo's turning into a ridiculously physical right back and people are probably not real keen on playing next to him um or, or having to play against him because he's physical he's tough he's quick and he's relentless uh, so the, the challenge that happens and, you know, it's Mark Anthony K gave away a ball, um, or it made a pass. And then the, I think that pass actually gave, gave away and, and K was still chancing at it. Araujo gets to the ball in plenty of time, gets the ball off his foot and K comes in and absolutely stomps right through, um, you know, Julian Araujo's ankle. It, it's a clear red card. There's no question about it. And quite honestly, Alan Chapman was two feet away from it. Um, so it was almost like it, sometimes that's too close for referees to make that call. But it was in this particular case, he could see it very easily. And it's funny because as we've talked about, Kevin, is the, a lot of that play got played in sort of the other side of the field. And that one was across the midfield. And so it was tough for us to sort of see exactly what had happened and where it was. Um, so we all ran over to the uh, to the replay screen. And I got there just as and we were I, I think it was Scott French who was like, I don't know if that's a red card. And we're like, OK. And then they showed the first replay and we're like, oh, nope, that's a red card. And everybody just turned around like you saw one replay it was like, oh, yeah, that's that's a clear red card. 
Um, it reminds me very much of Nigel DeYoung's uh, tackle on Darlington Nagby, of which I believe Nigel was suspended for three games. Um, it's a not on the ball. It comes over the ball, but in this case, it wasn't even over the ball. It's a stomp, and quite honestly, uh, Julian Araujo's lucky that something didn't break um, in that challenge. It, it was not a good challenge, and 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 Kay deserved the red card. There's no argument, and and I think you know I think some people were expecting Bob Bradley to push back against the red card, uh, Kevin, and and I saw nothing, and I had you send me over the team sheet from LAFC so I could see sort of his comments on on what that what he saw in that play, and he was like, no, he he, he sort of says yeah, and then you know Kay goes you know sort of comes in with a bad challenge, and that's you know that's it. Like he wasn't he wasn't arguing the red card. Well, and it was also very similar to the challenge Perry Kitchen had on Mark Anthony Kay in 2018 that broke Kay's, I think it broke his ankle. Um, yeah. Do you and, want do you want the the differences between those two challenges? Because somebody else brought this up, and I already had to go back and be like, that's this. There's a whole bunch of differences in that. Uh, Perry Kitchen's was not even a yellow card, um, from what I remember, not a yellow card. And Perry Kitchen also got the ball whenever he got it. He got the ball and then stepped through the ball and caught Kay on the backside of it. So that's there's there's some real differences when people try to make that comparison. The only comparison I would put in there is that we've seen these types of challenges in these games where there's been stomps and ankles and everything else on that. Well, let me give you some numbers coming out of this game. Um, the Galaxy. This was the Galaxy's fourth win over LAFC. Um, no other team in MLS has beaten them more than twice. Can- Sporting Kansas City beat LAFC twice in 2018. Um, the only two times they beat them, Seattle beat them uh, twice, including the playoff game, uh, the playoff game last year, and then they beat them this year. So uh, only two teams have beaten LAFC twice. The Galaxy has done it four times. David Bingham has 180 consecutive shutout minutes against LAFC, back-to-back shutouts in 15, uh, 15 days apart. No other team in MLS has shut uh, LAFC out twice. So David Bingham has now done it twice in 15 days. Um, and this is the first time since March of 2018, after the Zlatan game, that was the only other time the Galaxy were ahead of LAFC in the standings, and that lasted just a week. So now, and now they're ahead of them in the standings as well. So it was a pretty historic game uh, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and now LAFC completely controls the El Trafico as far as you know record goes with four wins and you mean the, you, you mean the LA Galaxy controls the El Trafico you yes. said LAFC I know yeah no it's fine I I get them confused when we have to talk about them a whole bunch too so I mean back-to-back wins is I think it's the first it's the first time there's been consecutive wins in this no that that would yes the first time there's been consecutive wins right yeah in I the same so. season yeah um the LAFC did one in the playoffs and then one at the MLS's back tournament but those are two different seasons so um you know the momentum in the series has really swung to the galaxy side and I know you wanted to talk about how maybe the um the galaxy may not be um uh, this momentum the galaxy's uh creating may be a little bit of a fake momentum but I actually think this team is is only going to get better they keep raising the bar and remember uh, Jonathan Dos Santos has played only 116 minutes uh, in the four-game winning streak. Right. By the way, the four-game winning streak is the second-longest winning streak since 2016. Um, they won five games in 2018, and so now they've won four in a row. We have to go back to 2016, last time they did that. Jonathan Dos Santos has only played 116 minutes and has not started in that streak. However, when he's been on the field, the Galaxy have outscored the opposition 5-2. to two. So that's a good sign. So uh, Jonathan Dos Santos, arguably the best player on the team, Pavone would argue probably, but um, one of the best players on the team in any case, hasn't started 
uh, in this winning streak has started only once this season. So once he gets back and can start, you have to think that that's going to make the team better. I know there's been a lot of Chicharito haters out there, but once Chicharito becomes available, whether he replaces Zubek or whether he comes off the bench, doesn't matter. That makes your team stronger. So there's two pieces that are going to make the team stronger. Then you got Yanni Gonzalez coming. I hope that he doesn't wind up starting immediately because I like the way this Rolf Felcher Julian Araujo thing is working out, and I would hate to see Julian Araujo go to the bench just because you're bringing in, uh, you know, a player from South America that, that, that you really wanted. I think maybe, um, you, you know, he becomes a guy off the bench at least at the start. So essentially, within the next couple of weeks, the Galaxy pick up three big pieces, three big contributors that they don't have right now when they're on a four-game winning streak. And I, you know, I, if they keep playing like this, I think they're only going to get better with those additions. Yeah, let me um, let me highlight some things that you know, like you said, I, I, there's some there's some sort of false things that are happening, at least in my mind. And and you look at the expected goals and sort of how that goes. And I, I like expected goals; it just tells me, gives me an idea of the chances that are being created and the goals that are being scored. And so it, it goes. So if we're looking at the game flow uh, of this particular game, the Galaxy had uh, 1.16 on their expected goals, and LAFC had a 1.5. Too. I think that's the second time that the expected goals versus um, versus goals has been inverted in this way. I mean, realistically, uh, you're seeing the LA Galaxy and Christian Pavone. By the way, they gave that. You know, if you look at the game flow, his shot where he you know was able to to, to chip the keeper is technically a low sort of chance shot, um, but it, it went in right. And so you, it's one of those where you say, well, it really, if you're looking at Christian Pavone though in that area, that's a pretty high percentage shot as it goes. It's just one of the flukes of of expected goals and how it works. So you're starting to see that the LA Galaxy defense in the last couple games um, against Portland and against you know, now LAFC have given up a lot of chances before they were really limiting. I mean, you go back to the 2-0 win over LAFC, they, they limited chances. There were not chances on goal in that particular game. This was That was a, a, a very good defensive game. Um, since then, you've seen some erosion of that defense. Um, and so I think that if you're looking at the defensive side of things, they're getting the results, which is good. And a shutout is always good. And wins are good. And that's all fine. But if you're trying to see how this team is trending, for me, I don't like how the defense is trending. I don't like the direction they're going uh, in terms of the chances that they're getting up. You make David Bingham have a career, or, or not a career, but a season high seven saves. That's not a good thing. I'm, it's good that he made the saves, all right? But David Bingham really kept this team in this game because if LAFC gets any of those first half goals, let's say they get all of them and they're, now they're winning two or three to nothing, it's a completely different game for the LA Galaxy. You know, there's probably not a red card from, from K in that as well. So things really can sort of be hidden in a lot of these things. I'll tell you one thing that was both a, both a positive and a negative, which is kind of a, a weird way to look at it, but Insua, I thought Insua had a breakout game against LAFC. I thought it was his best game in an LA Galaxy uniform. Having said that, uh, Brian Rodriguez continually torched Insua on that on the left hand side uh, of the defense on the right hand side of attacking LAFC. Continually got behind Insua. Here's where the positive comes out of there. Insua is a smart enough defender to know that whenever he was beat, that it's his job to get into the middle. And Depew is a smart enough central ba- center back to know that he has to come out and challenge Rodriguez. Now he has to push push out, um, you know, on these players um, in, in order to uh, to keep that pressure on. And I thought that that rotation and that understanding and the ability to know where each other was was outstanding. They did it perfectly almost the entire night. That's the same with Felcher and Araujo. 
Felcher gets beat. Felcher gets beat in behind. Araujo is usually there to apply the pressure and to cover for Felcher. Or Steras pops out. Araujo drops back. You could see many times where it looked like the LA Galaxy had a five-man back line. All right. And that's when Araujo would sort of go in and put step in between Steras and Felcher. And then you'd have, um, you know, Depew and you have Insua. And then you have Kitchen and Corona. You have now a seven-man, uh, you know, defense that's there and locked in. And you have Legette and Pavone and Zubak that were sort of that offensive release valve. So... All of those things are important, and I like to see the rotation because they're doing the right things and playing the right way, but the bottom line is that in the last couple games, you've seen the inverted expected goals, which means that the other team is getting chances, but they're not capitalizing on them. And so for me, looking at, you know, sort of the high point, which was, you know, the 2 nothing win over LAFC, um, you know, then you had two 3-2 games, right? So you gave up four goals in two of those games uh, with San Jose and Portland, and you won both of them because you scored more goals. So I'm, I, I understand where it's going. I see how it goes uh, in this particular game. Again, it's a shutout. It's 3 nothing. It's a rivalry game. You're short on rest. Um, everybody, I expected this game to sort of be, you know, LAFC revenge time, which was, hey, you shut us out at home. Now we're going to beat you at home. Um, and through 45 minutes, I thought that that was probably the correct uh, response. But things changed in soccer, and the LA Galaxy came out and, and had a really, really good second half. I think, if anything, Kevin, that you can really take away from this is that this team is playing like a team. Um, it's everything we thought it might be whenever, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic left. And and the thing with relying on somebody like Zlatan to score goals for you um, and not necessarily having a good t- team dynamic in that is that it's unpredictable, right? You can't always say, you know, you know that Zlatan's going to score goals, but, you know, what's going to happen with the rest of the team? And are they going to be able to put up a, uh, a good backstop, um, you know, behind Zlatan in order to make sure that, you know, the other team doesn't score goals? I think that in, in what is going on right now, uh, the ability for the LA Galaxy to play as a team. And I think nothing highlights that more than that set-piece goal that was scored. And it's not because of the set-piece goal, and it wasn't at a, it was the reaction to the set-piece goal, uh, the, the first goal from Sebastian Legette. The reaction to that tells me how much of a team this is and how much and how important that is to them, that they're playing for each other, which is, I don't know how many interviews we've done with former champions across, you know, 2011, 2010, 20, 2012, 2014 with the LA Galaxy, and they all talk about being able to trust the guy next to you. That's what's happening right now for this LA Galaxy team. Well, and I think the schedule is going to have a lot to do, uh, have a lot to say about what happens going forward. You know, the Galaxy's next game will be in a week. They play in San Jose. They have to travel. San Jose scuffling a little bit. Um, I, I, I like the Galaxy in that one. If they can win that or get a point out of that, I think it continues that momentum. But we don't know what's going to happen after that. The second phase of this return, there's 12 more games that have to be scheduled. The second phase of this return has not been announced yet. And in talking to some Galaxy officials, the holdup seems to be the coronavirus, as it's been uh, all season with everything. The coronavirus is in the way. Um, the idea of traveling and playing day of game, as difficult as that was even with the galaxy just going to portland as difficult as that have has been they want to expand travel in the second phase and they would like to see the galaxy go to places in texas houston and dallas well with the time change and the longer flight that means they'd have to stay overnight um it would just be impossible if they didn't do that um we may not be in a situation yet where um 
MLS feels safe having teams stay overnight. That's you know one of the things they've wanted to avoid with this new travel plan. So if, if they allow, if they open that up and allow teams to travel and stay overnight, you may see the Galaxy having to travel to places like Sporting Kansas City. Um, you know that would be sort of in their region, but uh, a place they'd have to stay overnight for. Sporting Kansas City leads the conference. That would be a tough opponent. They still have a game in hand with Seattle. They haven't played that game yet. If MLS gets a little bit conservative and said, no, we're not quite ready for those overnight trips just yet, and they schedule in the closer opponents, then you could see the Galaxy getting a home-and-home perhaps with Real Salt Lake, who is eighth in the standings right now. You could see them maybe playing Colorado. That would not be that difficult a trip. Colorado is 11th in the standings. You would see them maybe playing another game with Portland. Um, So the schedule, I think, is going to have a lot to say uh, about whether the Galaxy are, are able to continue this momentum or how difficult that would be. We probably are going to see a schedule for the next, well, we have to see it soon. I would expect we'd see a, ne- a schedule for at least the next six games coming out this week. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to be almost at this point. That's what we're, we're sort of defaulting to that more than anything else. Um, the other thing I think that we've talked about in terms of making this difficult is is the Canadian teams and what do you do with the Canadian teams? And there's talks, you know, there still seems to be no sort of intra-border travel um, there in terms of Canada and the United States. So do you have to move the Canadian teams down into the States so that way they can play, you know, other, other teams? Or, um, you know, is there another way to sort of go about that? Uh, you might think that, you know, players who are on those teams aren't exactly thrilled about having to leave Canada and come down to the United States, um, you know, and sort of play in those games and possibly be away from their families. I mean, you're, you're putting guys on the road for, for a very long time uh, if you do that. And if you can't travel back and forth between the two countries, that that really sort of hurts. And so what you're, you're not going to be able to have, you know, the Galaxy go play Toronto and again, uh, spending overnights or doing anything else. It seems like mostly the, the that the Western Conference is going to play the Western Conference team, the Eastern Conference is going to play their Eastern Conference teams. There's not going to be any cross between them until probably uh, MLS Cup. Um, as it goes. So there's still a lot of things that sort of have to be run through. And we, you know, we talked even about just trying to reschedule a, a Seattle game, right? I mean, there, there's a game, the galaxy are supposed to play six in this first phase. And, um, you know, with the boycott of the games, uh, when the galaxy were supposed to play that midweek against Seattle, uh, that didn't happen. Uh, and so now trying to even reschedule that is difficult because Seattle has, I think a midweek game coming up this week, so they can't yeah, do it. I think it. it's Thursday. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I think that, uh, San Jose also has a Thursday night game. So the LA galaxy are going to get a week off. San Jose is going to have to play on Thursday night, um, and then play on Sunday again. What, I don't know if that helps or hurts at this point, because it seems like everybody, it seems like the galaxy don't really care. Uh, they've gone up to the road in Portland and handled that. You know, they played their midweek games. They played on the, on the weekend so far they've, they've, they've been able to handle it, but you would imagine that it gives a little bit of an advantage with a short travel day you know it's a 45 50 minute flight from from la to san jose um so not exactly huge travel in, in terms of that but you think that there might be you know an advantage to that but bottom line is that it doesn't seem like that seattle game is going to get rescheduled in this phase one you know see you said seattle and san jose both have thursday games this week guess who they play guess who uh, they play each other they do. Yes. You figured that out. Yeah, I mean, that 50-minute flight's almost like some guys probably have longer drives. I was going to gonna say. Yeah, I, not me, by the way. I, l- listen, 
Um, I, I want before I start bragging about this, uh, I want to say that I'm very fortunate to be able to go watch live soccer games and watch these games, you know, in the stadium and do it in a safe way when there's not a not a whole bunch of people there. And, you know, we're fairly spread out unless Scott French wants to tell me something. Um, so between all those things, I, I know I'm very fortunate to be in there. Now I'll brag. It takes me you sometimes it can take me 90 minutes to get from, you know, basically the OC up into uh, to Dignity Health Sports Park. Uh, it took me 27 minutes uh, from the OC up to uh, to these games it's like it's like i don't have to get there four hours early i can get there you know just like an hour before kickoff and and still be uh ready to go for all this stuff so which is a good well, thing so it helps me stay talk, married let's talk briefly just about the travel just so people have a, a sense of what we're talking about when uh, the galaxy on, on their road trip to Fort, portland example that uh, for example that's the only one they've made aside from florida and that's a whole different ball of wax so what the galaxy did is they they had a 10:30 charter flight out of LAX. So they met at Dignity Health Sports Park. Uh, everyone parked their cars there. They got on two buses. So uh, there was an extra bus, and that's for social distancing, so that uh, everyone can stay, uh, you know, at least one seat row apart. Um, so they leave their cars at Dignity Health Sports Park. Normally, they would park at the airport and meet in the terminal. Now they meet at Dignity Health Sports Park, take the bus. The bus drives onto the tarmac. They get onto the charter flight. Everyone in a mask. It's a charter flight with 183 seats. The traveling party is 35. So you can figure there's a lot of social distancing. They get to Portland. Again, two buses meet them on the tarmac. They drive them to a hotel. Yes, the team goes to a hotel. Every player has his own room. Normally, they have uh, roommates. Every player has its own room. They stay in the room with the exception of a meal. They have lunch, and they have a team meeting. They can take their lunch back to the room. Everything is served in cardboard to-go containers. There's no silverware. There are no plates. Um, So then they go do that. So, yes, they are in a hotel. Why can't they stay in a hotel overnight? Well, the problem is, um, as Major League Baseball found out, Major League Baseball had a lot of the same rules. Don't go outside. Don't go to Starbucks. Don't do these things. Stay in the hotel. Um, three days in one city, um, they were finding out the players were getting bored. Some of the baseball players were wandering off, and they were getting infected with COVID, and they were bringing it back. And you saw the St. Louis Cardinals you know, had all those games canceled, the Florida Marlins, the Phillies. A lot of teams had that. MLS saw that happening before they started this uh, return to play in home markets. They wanted to avoid that. And their thought was if we can limit the amount of times players are in a city, we can eliminate the boredom. They wake up in their own bed. They go back to sleep in their own bed. Um, That's what they wanted to do. Now, when they expand that, if they do go to, say, Dallas uh, and they have to stay overnight, then you got to worry. Are guys going to wander across the street? to Chipotle or wherever. They're going to wander outside. They're going to step outside for a breath of fresh air. And are they putting themselves in danger? So the uh, the time you can, you know, if you can limit that time in, in the foreign market and make sure players, again, wake up in their own bed, go to sleep in their own bed, that's better. Another thing that they do at the stadium is uh, most stadiums have auxiliary locker rooms. And so those have been open. So, for example, at Providence Park in Portland, the Galaxy used the locker room they normally use, but an adjacent locker room was open, so they had twice as much space. The drawback to all that is, is as some of the players told you, Josh, they left Dignity Health Sports Park about 9.30 for their 10.30 flight. Right. A lot of players didn't get back into their homes until 3 or 4 in the morning. Yeah. That's just to Portland. That's a long day. Now imagine you're going to Colorado or Dallas or Houston. Uh, and you can see how that's not just not going to work as easily. Yeah, I mean, Dallas and Houston start to stretch that. Colorado's probably doable. Real Salt Lake is doable. Um, you know, there's some of these that are, you know, Sporting Kansas City is not. Uh, it, it starts to get, you stretch it. The, the time changes also stretch. Seattle barely. I think Seattle's at the outer limits of this probably. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense that it is. Um, here's my take on that is that I feel like if you're going to spend the night in a hotel, that's probably, they're already going to hotels now. 
So if you're going to spend the night in a hotel, how much added, you know, how much are you, are you really adding? Because they're going to hotels before the game. They're just not staying there for very long. So they go, they hang out in the room for a little while, and then they go to the game and they never come back. It was interesting. Uh, you know, for the most part, I think we were told that uh, that players aren't showering or, or their showers aren't open at the facilities. But last night we were waiting for Christian Pavone. We were told he was in taking a shower. So I'm not sure. Listen, they're all sort of in a bubble together. So I don't necessarily think those guys showering after a game in their locker room that they were already in whenever they were getting changed and ready to go is is this huge bubble breaking thing that's a, that's a problem. But it's interesting. Um, it's, it's just, you know, it's how much are you going to be able to stretch that and how can you do it safely? So looking at that is, is, is going to be sort of the next step is, can you just stay overnight? Cause if you can, you can open up pretty much the rest of the, uh, rest of the country in terms of well, where you could fly to. Well, really the West, the Western conference, I don't know if they want them yeah. going to Orlando, but I, I did do a galaxy road trip to, uh, to Dallas once and the team got there fairly late the night before late afternoon early evening maybe six or seven they got to the hotel they had a meeting they had a meal everybody went to bed they got up the next morning had another you know strategy meeting went and played the game and perhaps if you do it that way if you get to the market you know fairly late the night before so that no one has really much time other than uh, a meal a meeting and go to sleep wake up you know occupy everybody's time in the morning get ready play maybe a midday game and come back, yes, you would be staying overnight in a market. But I, I think that the idea is to limit that free time, right. uh, make sure guys don't get in trouble. Um, there's a lot of guys, veteran guys, are going to be very, very disciplined, and they're not going to to cause any problems. It's some of the guys that maybe don't have that discipline or that history or the understanding, uh, you know, maybe feeling a little bit bulletproof, um, that, that will go out and challenge that and say, I just took a walk to get a cup of coffee. Well, Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, it is. And especially. And, and if you think if you think we're overreacting, and I get that. I, a lot of times I look at this stuff and say, that's not that bad. Look, the numbers are going down. Everything is trending in the right way. It only takes one mistake. And uh, for the players, all they got to do is look up into the stands. Where are the fans? Oh, yeah, COVID. They're not here because it's not safe. Well, then the players have to you know, keep that in mind when they're out uh, and about in other cities that it's not safe right now. Um, and you don't want to be the guy that blows it for everybody. Yeah, that's the case. You know, um, I, you've seen some different uh, from some, some some different stadiums this weekend host fans. Um, and I'm at the point now where it's sort of like I, I look at the stadium and say, you know, fits 27,000 people. And you can't tell me that you couldn't get a thousand people on that stadium and not do it safely. Um, if you're putting reporters next to each other, you know, separated by about, uh, I don't know, eight or 10 feet, I imagine that you could probably do the same with fans in a very, very limited capacity. I mean, you know, it's sort of, is it worth it at some point? Probably not. But, you know, for people who want to be in that type of thing, I understand why why you would. And I imagine you could do that safely. There's a lot of things I imagine you could do safely right now. And we've talked about mitigating the risk more than, you know, trying to eliminate it. And I think uh, it was interesting because uh, Ethan Zubak actually came into the LA Gal or to the corner the galaxy discord that we have running and he came in to sort of answer questions and just talk with uh, all the fans that were in there and he got a whole bunch of questions was super nice i don't know how long he ended up answering questions for but it seemed like it was a really long time uh said all the right things i mean ethan zubak has a great head on his shoulders uh sort of you know he knows what to say and he knows how to to communicate but he was really just open and some people were like man what do you do you know like for fun and he's like there's no fun right now he goes literally we train he goes i get to the stadium early so that way i can do some extra gym sessions that type of thing he goes I have four hours of training basically from the time you get to the stadium to the time you leave uh, with practice. He goes, and then it's home. He goes, that's it. 
there's nothing in between that right now. And he goes, and that's just the precautions. He goes, you know, we're all in this. We, we realize we're all in this bubble together and that we sort of have to work it. So, I mean, he, he, he gets it. If he's one of the younger kids on there and he gets it, I imagine that the, the rest of the team sort of understands that as well. But like you said, it takes one person. You can throw that whole thing off. I think MLS has done a very good job so far of not having that one person ever since, you know, the, the Nashville and, um, and FC Dallas problems that they had at the MLS's back, uh, tournament. Um, I'm trying to think of what else that you sort of need to take away um, from this game. I think the standings are important because you look at the standings, Kevin, and the LA Galaxy, who were at one point were in 12th place in the Western Conference. They hadn't had a win. They were winless in five games uh, to start. Uh, now sit in fourth place, actually tied for third with Minnesota United, uh, 1.56 points per game, 4-3-2 in record, four three and two record, uh, 16 goals for, 15 goals against, a plus one goal differential. So that's been flipped as well. Um, so you look at all that, and uh, they're doing they're doing pretty good. By the way, only three points out of Sporting out, out of first place, um, which is uh, Sporting Kansas City, who has three more points and has played one more game than the LA Galaxy. So um, some good stuff there in terms of the LA Galaxy's ability to move up the standings. Uh, it also helps that whenever you're playing your crosstown rival and you beat them, uh, that you leapfrog them when that happens. And so that's what happened to the LA Galaxy. LAFC now sits below the LA Galaxy. Um, so seventh place for LAFC, fourth place for the LA Galaxy. Um, and like I said, within striking distance of Seattle, who's in second place at 15 points, you know, Minnesota United, who's at 14 points, the same as Portland, 14 points. Um, um, as difficult as the Galaxy's schedule was in the Western Conference, Kevin, and we looked at it before they came, you know, before they went on a four-game winning streak, um, they have done everything that they've needed to do. And if they don't win, if they let's say they actually play six games, if they don't win another uh, two games in that first sort of phase six games that they had, um, they still did everything that they needed to do uh, in that, I think, one of the toughest regions in all of Major League Soccer, which is that Western Conference uh, region. Yeah, I thought they had the toughest schedule going into this. I mean, if you look at the six games, and granted, it looks like they're not going to play six in this stage because of the Seattle games, but when you they went into this, what did you have? You had the, uh, the reigning Supporters' Shield uh, team, LAFC. They had them right. twice. They had the MLS Cup champions in Seattle once. They had San Jose, uh, who won uh, their group at MLS is back. They had them twice. And they had Portland, the team that won the MLS's uh, back tournament. So you had three teams that had won trophies in the last 10 months. And that's who the Galaxy were going to play. I, I don't think any team in MLS had a tougher schedule than that. I'm really bullish on this team. I think this team looks really good. I think everything is clicking. Um, I am aware that just a month ago they looked horrible and they right. looked or six weeks ago they looked terrible. They couldn't do anything right. Those players are still on the team. Those players are still on the field. So it could revert back. Um, but when you see the three pieces that are about to join the team, I guess the only fear would be when you put those players in, how how does it change the chemistry? I mean, I think, I think at some point, uh, you're right, the kitchen corona pairing at the back of uh, the midfield has played really well. At some point, Sasha Kleschen is going to get some time. Uh, he's going to take one of those guys' places, I would imagine. How does does he upset that? When, when Jonathan Dos Santos comes in, he takes one of those guys' places. Does the chemistry change? It, 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 you know, if Yanni Gonzalez comes in and gives uh, Araujo a breather, does he upset that or, or does he complement that? And then the Zubek and Chicharito think Chicharito is not going to be happy uh, coming off the bench, but the team's winning with Zubek there. So what do you do? Do you do you risk uh, upending the whole apple cart uh, by putting Chicharito in there or does he become – uh, does he accept a role of playing off the bench? I think those are questions um, that are going to have to be answered, and and the Galaxy's fate, I suppose, 
could depend on those, but I like the way the team is playing right now. Again, I am aware that six weeks ago they were horrible. Yeah, uh, Sebastian Legette answering the uh, the calls, the criticism. Uh, one of my questions that I asked him after the game was that you know, uh, first of all, we have to talk about that 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 first goal that Sebastian Legette scored. The the play off the training ground, right? That was the um, that was send most of the the team forward to sort of press LAFC back, and then Daniel Stairs picks at the back post. Um, Sebastian Legette's guy, uh, Legette comes a horizontally across to the penalty spot um, where Pavone finds and they slotted in. My, my question was, I think they never scored on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I asked Damien because I was like, hey, da- or Damien asked the question. It's like, hey, did you guys practice that? Is that something you guys have done? And Sebastian was like, yeah, yeah, it is. You know, we practice a lot of things and work on a lot of things, the whole deal. But I, I, I wanted to make sure I, I go, did you ever score? I go, did that actually work in training? Because I swear to God, nine times out of 10, you, you try stuff in training and it never works, right? And then the coaches are like, you know, and, and you guys are like, well, let's try it in the game. Let's see if it's going to work now. Of course it is, right? The whole deal. And legit admitted that he goes actually he goes i think in training i hit the crossbar twice and and so like it never worked and of course in this particular one uh it works and it goes in uh so that was the the one important thing that you sort of wanted to talk about um with sebastian but the other was that sebastian legit is very much in tune with everything that goes on around the la galaxy uh he loves playing for the club uh he stated that in his response to me whenever i said you know you've been getting a lot of criticism are you are you playing with a chip on your shoulder do you feel like you're answering critics because if you see all of the tweets that uh, that his girlfriend, uh, Becky G, Rebecca, uh, tweets out afterwards, it always seems like she's sort of, and, and rightfully so, sticking it to the people who are questioning Sebastian Legette, like, how dare you, and sort of, that's my man, and like, it just it just always seems very pointed at that, and uh, I was, so I sort of wanted to know what, what Seba's take was on that, and he's like, yeah, like, I know what people are saying, and, and they have, he was very diplomatic about it too, Kevin, right? You, you know, fans have a right to say it, you know, they have a right to say these things and i'm never going to tell them that they can't he goes and i'm not going to cause a scene and i'm not going to argue back against these people he goes he goes but i see it i know what people are saying um and so you know it's it's he goes of course i want to do better of course i want to do these things and so this is me answering back i am answering back this is the criticism that i've been receiving i'm answering back now um so i i think that that is one that's really good for his uh, for his confidence, uh, Sebastian Legette is a guy who, because of injuries, Kevin really has taken step backwards um, in a lot of ways. And every time I think we've expected him to take a step forward, it hasn't happened. Uh, you may be right, Kevin, that maybe he just hasn't been put in the right situation in the right time. Uh, if you look, his very first year with the LA Galaxy, I think it was in 2015, uh, he scored seven goals with the LA Galaxy, and he came in as a sort of a, 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 a midseason replacement or a midseason addition to the LA Galaxy. So he scored seven goals in that time. Well, Legit has four goals in four games, and in fact, he has four goals and two assists in four games uh, that he's been playing. So you're seeing a Sebastian Legit that we have not seen basically since 2015. He's already outpaced all the rest of his uh you know sort of season uh seasons that he's had you know three goals two goals that type of thing um and then it was the seven goals in 2015 that was sort of the outlier uh sebastian legette is a confident confident player and he's playing in a position that the la galaxy need to have somebody be successful there kevin um that's such an important part to the well, success of this team and and he's pulling it, well, it off right found now. a role for him i mean you, you saw him i think yeah, he but that's, played but two that's, or three different positions i don't agree with that 
All right. I don't agree that they found a role for him. He's been playing in the center for how many games? Yeah, but he's been asked to do all kinds of different things. He's been asked to to set guys up. He's been asked to to um you know to deliver balls to uh to, to Pavone or to Zubek. He's not been allowed to take that scoring role. And as you as you just said, he's got four goals in this winning streak. Uh, they finally let him do what he does best, which I think is both score and distribute. He's not supposed to be the quarterback anymore. He's he's allowed to get a little bit more involved in the offense. You know, before he was the point guard. Now. He's the point guard and the shooting guard. He gets to do both. Yeah, but I mean, he's always had in any position that he's played in. They've never told him, "Hey, don't don't shoot and don't score goals." Um, and that's sort of been always been our argument is that he never wanted to sort of press between players. He never wanted to to try and break into space. And what you're seeing him do now is so much more dynamic which is you know it's that second run he's the second run guy so Pavone there was a there was a play that ended up not working for the LA Galaxy but it highlighted what I have missed from Sebastian Legette from so much um, was Pavone was running on the outside as the as the left wing and was pressing up that left side and they were trying to get in behind Blessing and they had done it two or three times and so the ball came in again and I forget who distributed it, it might have been Joe Corona um, in that area and I think it was in the first half because I think everything was being run, run away for me uh, whenever it happened uh, but Corona had played the ball to Pavone and, and sort of you know had Pavone come back to it a bunch of times and so everybody knew that when Corona got the ball sort of in this position that he was going to look for Pavone and try to open up a spot and so Pavone sort of fainted towards Corona drew Blessing with him and all of a sudden Sebastian Legette just blasted into a hole between the center back and Blessing and it played Legette in that's the kind of run that has been open for him for years and he hasn't taken it. Um, and whether he has, maybe he was told not to not to take it, I would doubt that. But the bottom line is he has the confidence now. By the way, the confidence, the speed, the ball control, um, you know, the, the nerve to take on one-on-one players. He has been, whatever has changed, he has done that now. And you're seeing the LA Galaxy just reap these benefits from him because now it's not just Christian Pavone. That's the whole point of this game here is it wasn't just Christian Pavone. Christian Pavone got you for the first goal. Sebastian Legette won the game for you after that red card because you knew if the if LAFC was within one goal um, that there was always a chance that they could counter. Um, well, well, here let me let's look at the numbers in the four game winning. You you said that he was not allowed to take shots or or really become an integral part of the offense in the four game winning streak. He's had multiple shots in all four games and finished with ten shots total combined in those four games in the four games before none of which the Galaxy won. He never took more than a shot in one game. He didn't take any shots. Um, and the Galaxy lost all those four games. So I would argue that the fact that he's taking multiple shots a game and is getting involved in the offense more, I, I, I think the stats bear that out. His he, his position may not have changed, but what he's supposed to do from that position, I do think has changed. He is, uh, however it, it ends up being laid out there, uh, Sebastian Legette has been really the, the central attacking midfielder the LA Galaxy needed. I still think that there is that they should be in the market for somebody to play that number 10 role. But having said that, uh, I'm a big believer in the domestic player in, in, in Major League Soccer, and I think that Sebastian Legette could be uh, playing himself back into U.S. men's national team contention. Uh, you talk about that with Julian Araujo, too. Right now, how are, if you're anybody, if you're, if you're Greg Berhalter, and Berhalter's a defensive guy, so I imagine that he's seeing this, you have to love what you're seeing from Julian Araujo so much that you have to say, how is he not at least on my team if he's not on my bench? 
Um, he has been outstanding. I said this in my article, and I mean this seriously. Uh, if you're an LA Galaxy fan, get yourself a Julian Araujo jersey. Um, go ahead and get it. Make sure you have it. Make sure you, you really love it because he may not be here next year the way that he's playing right now. Um, and I, I don't think that's hyperbole. I, you've seen that he has... Uh, head and shoulders been, I think, the second best player on the team for the LA Galaxy in this four-game winning streak. Um, he has been relentless. He's physical. He's smart. He needs more seasoning for sure. Uh, he's still a young kid, uh, but his work rate, his work ethic, the way he understands how to play the game, his ability to play two positions uh, is something that somebody in Europe is going to want. Um, and so I do not expect to see him here for another two years. Um, so as, as sort of sad as that is, if he continues on this trajectory, and of course it could all end tomorrow, he could have a string of bad games and it's just been some, some good stuff. It doesn't feel that way for him. Well, and the thing is, is he fits the Burhalter style, the way he wants to play as a right back who gets involved uh, in the attack that that fits perfectly. And when you say Europe, that's a big place. I think a teenage American winds up in Germany, uh, a guy, as you, as you mentioned, that needs a little more seasoning. I, I don't think we see a, a big English or Italian team take a, choice, a chance on him. But I do think that there are a lot of German teams that must be looking at him right now. And when you mentioned the, the domestic players, um, talk a little bit about the galaxy lineup in this game. It was pretty much all American. Yeah, it was. And, and we've, we've sort of highlighted this before um, whenever we had, uh, we had talked about it, but uh, you know, David Bingham domestic, uh, Daniel Starr's domestic player. Uh, so Bingham, California, Starr's California, Depuce, California, uh, Kitchen is Indiana, so he doesn't count as California, but he is a domestic uh, player. Uh, Joe Corona, California, Araujo, California, Leggett, Bay Area, California, Zubak, California. Um, these guys, it's uh, uh, we've talked about exploiting what is Southern California and the talent that is in Southern California. We've always known that it's been a big deal. Um, you know, look at Steras and Depew and Araujo and Zubak are all, you know, G2 guys um, that have come through and, and, and been successful in USL and, and then come up and played for the LA Galaxy. There's something going on here with that. I mean, technically speaking, the only two guys who take up international slots on the starting lineup is Pavone and Insua. Uh, Felcher has a green card, so you know MLS rules say he doesn't take up an international slot. Uh, that's a huge change from some of the starting lineups that you saw last year. Uh, I think... The, uh, one, I've always argued it's not Major League Soccer's job to develop American talent. They're trying to put the best best uh, team on the field that they can. I think, and certainly Bruce Arena showed us this whenever he was in charge, Kevin, that getting the some really good domestic players on your team that are capable of starting, that are capable of being starters in Major League Soccer, means that you can spend more money at other positions on the international players that are going to bring some of that some of that more attacking sort of charm that's going to come from um, you know some of the some being brought up outside of the United States. So uh, this is you know it's great if you want to wave the American flag and say look you know we're developing talent and it's great if you're the LA Galaxy because you can say hey we're developing talent and it happens to be American talent and that's cool too. Um, all those things. But really, from a competitive standpoint, it makes the LA Galaxy, it, it gives the LA Galaxy so much more flexibility without having to rely on all of the international slots that they always have to go out and do. So this is, this is one, it's a good thing. Uh, it's an interesting stat. Uh, it's showing that the academy slash, you know, the USL team is making a difference and that you're seeing that on the field. But at the same time, the bottom line is this allows the LA Galaxy to spend more money in places that they need and they can go out and get an international slot to do that. So I think all those things together uh, make this LA Galaxy team much more competitive than if you look 
across at, at teams who are going to start all internationals. It's expensive to start all internationals, Kevin. We know that. Well, and if you just look across the field to the other team, I believe uh, LAFC had just one American. Tristan Blackman is from Las Vegas. I believe he's the only uh, non-international that started for them yesterday. So, it, you know, two different philosophies about building the team. Yeah, and and again, the LA Galaxy were the same way last year. So, you know, there's there's no there's no sort of judgment. It's just it's expensive to do that, um, and everybody knows it's expensive. And I've been sort of rally, railing on that for a little while. So, anyway, uh, the LA Galaxy get the three nothing win. Sebastian Jack gets the brace. Uh, we didn't even talk about a scissor kick volley that uh, sort of put him in there, and Rolf Felcher being able to float back there. So um, you, you call that a scissor kick? I call it the bicycle kick. It, a bicycle kick has to be more overhead. Do you think that his foot got above his head, or was it more sideways? Uh, I, I think it was three quarters. He came three quarters. I think I think you are you are giving <laughs> legit a little bit of leeway. Hey, you know what? I don't really care. It's it's one of those things that I just tried to a spectacular goal. It, it was great. Um, you know, we can talk about it hitting off his shin if you want to, but at the same time, it went in the back of the net. I don't really care how it happens. You know that type and, of thing. And he he said too that it's one of the things that you dream about, and I imagine that's true. That as a as a scorer, you probably go out and practice Pele scissor kicks, bicycle kicks, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, you probably practice those and, you know, the key to that goal too, wasn't the, the way he struck it or, or was rather the way he struck it. He didn't try to knock it straight in the net. He bounced it. And I think that gave, uh, the goalkeeper and the defense, a lot of problems because it wasn't coming straight to them. It was bouncing. And then they had to play the rebound. And, um, I, I don't know. He said that that was something he'd always dreamed of doing and to do it in a, in a, in a derby game was extra special. Here, let, let me throw, I want, I want to make sure that I wasn't too nice to Sebastian Legette this entire, uh, this entire program. So I'll say that in his dreams, he probably imagined it didn't bounce in. Um, I imagine that he probably thought he caught it completely clean and it was a laser into the upper corner. But hey, uh, that's just me. Uh, all right, so that's where the LA Galaxy said a, a 3 nothing win, uh, now four games in a row. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned they actually had a five-game uh, win streak in 2019. Uh, it ended up being a seven-game unbeaten streak that they had. That was the beginning of last year where we were all like, wow, this is one of the fastest starts the LA Galaxy have ever had. Um, after that seven-game uh, unbeaten streak, which saw them win seven six times draw once uh, they had four losses in a row. Uh, they ended up winning a couple games in between and it was very spotty from there on out for the rest of the season. So um, you know, it's not like we've never, I, I, everyone's like, when was the last time the galaxy won four games in a row? I'm like, it was last year. I, I, I know you want it to be like really, really far away, but it was just last year. It wasn't even that far away um, when, when Zlatan was there and the LA galaxy started very hot. Um, but having said that, uh, you know, going, winning five in a row, um, means something to this LA Galaxy team. Um, so I think that they have a real good chance of doing that against San Jose. We'll have a show on Thursday that'll get you ready for the San Jose game uh, that's coming up. It's an 8 p.m. kickoff time uh, for the LA Galaxy on that one. I believe it is on Univision. I haven't checked yet. I, I, I seem to remember that that was not um, one of the games that... Uh, that was going to be on Spectrum, and I figured that everybody well, would probably. No, I'm looking at the Galaxy notes from yesterday, and it says Unamas. Uh, we'll be uh, no, it says here on Spectrum. Well, I'll tell you right now on the schedule that MLS put out, it says Unamas. So maybe they have an Unamas game that is a also a Spectrum game, like it was for this last one. Yeah, because um, so, one in English and one in Spanish, that yep, would make sense. Yep, they can. So uh, just sort of keep that in mind as you go uh, about. You should be able to watch that, and however you can do that is great. All right, uh, Kevin, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? This has been a long one. It, you know, it happens. It's a, it, the, the rivalry games always sort of demand a little bit more detailed breakdown. Plus, there was a lot of things 
that happened in that game that needed to be talked about. Um, a very well-behaved crowd in the stadium, I have to say. I didn't, I didn't see anybody get arrested inside the stadium. Outside the stadium, might have been a different story as I was uh, yeah. living. Yeah, we'll, few, just we'll, a few. We'll see how that goes. All right, uh, let's see. I think that's about it. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at KBaxter11. Uh, head on over to LATimes.com for all of the soccer writing, covering soccer in Southern California, LATimes.com. Go ahead and do that. All right. If you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at Jay Guessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course, at Galaxy Podcast. Uh, head on over to Corner of the Galaxy. We'll get you ready and rocking and rolling all the way up to the San Jose game. So again, hopefully a, a schedule comes out for phase two. Look for that sometime this week, and we'll get you ready for San Jose. Hopefully we'll have those updates for you on Thursday. All right. For Mr. Kevin the Panda Baxter, I'm Josh Pato Guessman, and you've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo. And on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.